Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 60? I didn't put it up there. Psalm 60. Of course, God reserves the right and possesses the latitude to get his people's attention from time to time. And there are many ways that we can be brought into uh, a time of uh, judgment, really. This is one of those times where Israel was defeated. We don't know exactly when it was, but the psalm is credited to David. And I think down here, I'll probably, if you see like verse six, it'll probably be verse four for you because uh, the Hebrew text gets two verses ahead very early. For the conductor on Shoshan Arut, a mikhtam of David to teach. Now, Shoshan Arut, that's um, a, lily, a lily of testimony, something like that. If you read 14 different commentaries and scholars in Hebrew, you'll get about 14 different ideas as to what that really means. But it is a contemplative psalm, mikhtam, we know what that is. And this is something that people need to be taught. What is seen here, the purpose of this psalm is for us to teach. This is when he fought with Aram Naharaim, with Aram Zobah and Joab, returned and smote 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. Well, they came to a time where they had lost a skirmish. They were defeated. And so David begins his appeal, his prayer, Elohim, you have forsaken us. Now remember, we've seen in 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, we've seen how David was very careful to appeal to Yahweh before he would carry his troops into battle. There were a couple of times, however, where he didn't do that. He just forged on into a battle and it wasn't really within the purpose of Yahweh for his people. This apparently is one of those skirmishes, one of those times. Elohim, you have forsaken us. You've breached us. You were angry with us. Restore us again. It doesn't take long for a sensitive child of God to recognize when he is being dealt with by his heavenly father. I, I, I seem to stay in that doghouse. I don't know. But it's very easy to identify when you have collapsed into the consequences of sin, why you're there. You know why you're there. What happened how you, how you uh, disobeyed the Lord in some way, something happens. Now, this, this is not to say that you can just live life like this, but there are those especially major points 
the, the, a database in time where you can see and you know and you feel and you understand in your heart that uh, you have you have sinned against Yahweh in some way. Here, Elohim, God, you have forsaken us. Immediately, David knows this, this is a consequence of sin. He knows it. And he, he could know exactly what the sin was once it happened. It just, it didn't go right. You have breached us. You were angry with us. Restore us again. So what are you going to ask for? You're going to ask. You're going to cry over the judgment. You're going to lament for the judgment. But what makes David a man after God's heart is that he is in pursuit of the heart of God. And when he comes to a point in time and he recognizes that he's off the path, then he tries to get right back on that path and he pleads with God to restore him, to restore us. You caused the land to quake, you split it, heal its breaches, for it is faltered. Now some say this is probably, this was probably an act of God to cause the failure of the mission in the war because this would certainly be a way for God to get the attention of his people and of David. Heal its breaches for it is faltered. You have shown your people harshness or you could say hard times. You have given us to drink wine of confusion, wine of bewilderment. It's a low point in the life of Israel, certainly in the life of David. Bewildered and confused because the circumstances are clear. God has brought hard times, harshness to his people because they have sinned. Something was not right. It's very important for us as believers to stay humble before God on our knees all the time. I mean, I'm not going to encourage you to close your eyes in prayer while you're driving, but driving is a good time to pray. You might want to keep your eyes open. <laughs> or an earthquake will hit you in a way you wasn't expecting. But Paul writes about how he, he uh, writes to, to encourage Christians to pray without ceasing. The longer you walk with the Lord and you stay in his word and you deal with the world and you see the contrast between the God of this world and the God of this age and the kingdom of God, the more you realize you belong here and not here. And the more you recognize Forbidden and sinful conditions when they come across your life in time, across the time of your life. It is true that Christians can collapse into sin. They can fall into sin. James, James 
says that uh, when it is conceived, conception, that's when two come together, right? When it is conceived, it brings forth sin. The brat that is born is sin. The picture of the New Testament is that a Christian has failed to walk circumspectly like he has at other times. And that Satan has developed a perfect profile of the believer and he seeks to destroy him. So he digs a pit, he sets a trap and something about that trap when at a point in time the Christian is not walking circumspectly, he's not walking because he says to walk looking around carefully because your adversary as a roaring lion, the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Some of the most cringeworthy things you can watch on YouTube is to watch some poor, unsuspecting gazelle float off into the wrong place. Even a water buffalo. I, 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 you know, I like to watch everything that, that I can watch. In nature, as far as I can handle it. And here's some wildebeest, let's say. And he floats off just a little bit away from the rest of them. And here comes a lion. I saw one. while <laughs> this, this poor old wildebeest had a bad day. In running from the lion, he ran into the river where there were crocodiles. <laughs> so the crocodile got him. Kept rolling him over and he'd come up for breath and roll him over and the lion's just waiting there. Come on, let him go. Let me have him. That wildebeest didn't make it. He floated off into the wrong place. He didn't stay where he, was, where he should have stayed. He, he chose poorly. <laughs> and it cost him dearly. Well, here was this lion stalking I've seen them where a newborn gazelle or a newborn wildebeest or something that has just dropped from the womb. And a lion is just waiting, grabs that poor thing and takes it away and eats it up. He's looking to destroy not just people, but kings and nations. So this is why we're admonished in the New Testament to pray without ceasing, to walk circumspectly. Always be on guard. Don't let, don't let your watch down, your guard down anytime. Even when it looks peaceful, a trap is being set by Satan. And any of us at any point in time are susceptible to those traps, those pits 
that are laid for us. So lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. So there's this conception that takes place. Lust does its part, right? And Satan, of course, lays the trap. And then when the two come together, sin brings forth death. There's this little brat that's born. And this is probably the only time that I would ever encourage abortion. Abort that little brat that's called sin. Now, this is what David is doing. He's fallen into some trap. His pride as a king or something has caused him to fall into a trap. And it reminds me of an Elvis Presley song. We got to get out. Okay. David, what does he do? He goes right to the Lord. This thing is wrong. These circumstances, these consequences are wrong. I know exactly why we're here. The only thing I can do is go to the Lord and ask him to put us back where we were to restore us. So that's what he does. Restore us because we saw the warning and didn't pay attention. And now because of that, we're in hard times. And we're being forced to drink the wine of bewilderment, confusion, bewilderment. And it's not palatable for the believer. There's nothing comforting about it. It brings grief and sorrow. And the only way back to get on the road that we should be on is repentance, acknowledgement, to plead with Yahweh to restore us and put us back where we are supposed to be. Well, Yahweh is faithful. Yahweh knows that he will not always forsake his people, but he reserves the right to teach us a lesson and to show us when we're on the wrong path. So here comes this cry for salvation. You have given those who fear you a banner that it might be displayed because of the truth. That's the only place in the Bible where that Hebrew word is used. That's truth. It shows how it is. And then Selah, that meditative word that says it's actually a musical term that's a rest. If you have a composition and the, and the orchestra builds up and swells and crescendos to this tremendous place of music that just exhilarates the soul then all of a sudden boom there's a rest and everything is quiet and the listener is to contemplate on the experience he's just had so here it is Salah. a banner now the banner is for the victor the guy who won the fight you have given a, those who fear you a banner that it might be raised up, that it might be displayed because of the truth, Silah. Now, this is where David is saying, we've learned our lesson. We won't follow that path anymore. 
I, as the king, I won't stray in my pride anymore. I won't follow away unless you have blessed it anymore. Then I know you'll give back to me the banner of victory and we can raise it high and we will have learned the lesson, the truth that we should have learned in order that your beloved should be delivered or rescued. Now, he has, in the word of God, it says he, he has shown them hard times. He gave them bewilderment and confusion. They have sunk very low. But God will only allow his people to go so low and no lower. Because he knows his people will respond in repentance and sorrow and grief and cry for deliverance and rescue. And this is exactly what has happened. They will see the point that Yahweh has made, the truth. Silah, it will become a part of who they are. And this mistake should never happen again. And so even though they, are, they have sunk to this low, low point, they are still his beloved. The covenant that God establishes with his people, God is proactive. God is the one who comes after us. God is the aggressive one. He is the one who initiates and guarantees the fulfillment of the covenant. This is beyond the power of man. We don't have that power. God has that power. And the psalmist knows it with his inspired prayer. In order that your beloved should be delivered, should be rescued. Now, save with your right hand. That is the hand. It's a Hebraism. The right hand is the hand of authority, the hand of power. The hand of, of ruling, the hand of authority. Save with your right hand, there's nothing mightier than the great right hand of God Almighty. Save with your right hand and hear me. Give us salvation and hear us, hear me, as we plead before you. In our recognition of the sin, the flaw, the fault, and our understanding of the consequences. So then God responds divinely. Elohim spoke in his holiness. Now that word means his separateness. He is unique to himself, therefore God is holy. He's, he is separate. No one can be God but God. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and I will measure out the valley of Sukkot. Now this is the sovereign power of God. Israel is fighting these battles and has these skirmishes with all of these unbelievers down there. And God says to his people, it all belongs to me. I have made in, in these present days of, of war and, 
and threats and intimidations by world leaders, a particular world leader. I have said more than once that a Christian should never be afraid. Why should, uh, okay, so what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen, but it is all going to happen because God owns everything and God is in absolute control. This is what he's saying to King David and through King David to his people. You can be sad, but I'm going to rejoice because I'm in charge. I will divide Shechem and I will measure out the valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is the helmet of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, Shiloh comes. The great giver of peace. Until he comes. So the scepter is, of course, the, the symbol of kingly rule. And the one who gives, executes justice to the law from between his feet, that would be the seed of Judah, who is, of course, David, and then the seed of David, the sons of David. It will always be this way. Yahweh says, I'm in total control of this whole situation. Moab is my wash basin. That's, that's sort of a, that's an insult. Because the Moabites were so offensive to the Jews, to the Israelites. On Edom, I will throw my shoe. That's supposed to say shoe. I, I'm supposed to know how to spell better than that. I will throw my show. <laughs> I will throw my shoe. In other words, it's just a place where I'm going to put my dirty shoes before I come in and wash my feet. I will throw my shoe on Edom. Edom, that's Esau. That's the one who the prophet says God hates. Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. Of course, the Edomites dealt great misery to Israel in the Old Testament. But he says, they're nothing more than the place where I throw my dirty shoes. And because of Philistia, I shout and triumph. Philistia were, the Philistines were just very strong enemies of God's people. They had the best weapons. They had the best army. They had more soldiers they were better organized, but God's people, and especially David, could always whip the Philistines. It is because God was with them. And God would enjoy the victory by the power of God. So God is saying in response, I own it all. The greater truth here being, if you will remain humbled to me, humble to me, and if you will seek after me and just obey my word, follow the things I have told you. Don't, don't make foolish decisions about how to go to war and, and don't make foolish decisions about what's going to regarding what's going to happen to you because I own every one of them. I will treat them like I want to treat them in the time when I am treating them, and as I've said to you earlier, the great truth is it all is how God is dealing with Israel. 
So God's people, God's people shouldn't, shouldn't be concerned. I can give you the course of the plight of man as it stands today. There are two things. And all of the world has to fit into this. All of the world has to fit into this. Number one, all of the nations of the world and the, the nation against nation, wars, rumors of war, kingdom against all these things, without them knowing it, are revolving around what God's will is for Israel. That's number one. And the other thing is this. The Antichrist cannot be revealed. It's a twofold thing. The Antichrist cannot be revealed and the tribulation cannot fall, the wrath of God, until the church is taken out of the way. Things are going to get bad. I may even die in a nuclear fireball. I don't know. But I have to remember that it's all of God and two things are always the same. Israel is headed for the tribulation and emerged from that into the millennial kingdom. That's number one. And all of the great powers and wars and Gentile nations and so forth are controlled by the sovereign will of God. As he said here, he owns them all. Doesn't matter who they are. He owns them all. We're already told how the nations will line up toward the close of the age. And then secondly, the wrath of God cannot fall. According to God's word from God himself, the wrath of God cannot fall on this world, which will bring into this world the horrible tribulation. Things are bad now, but it does not, it pales in, there is no way to compare those difficult times we face in this world today with what is about to happen to this world. And the church has no part in the tribulation, those, those things, and they fit together, Israel and the church. So all of the world is moving in this direction. I had a former church member send me a, I don't know if it was a text or a, or a message on Facebook. And he said, do you think, and I think the guy's name in Ukraine is Zelensky, is that his name? Do you think that Zelensky can be the Antichrist? And I gave him an answer, and of course I, I told him, you know, we, we, that's not part of who we are. We don't know that. We, the church is taken out of the way, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed. And he can't be revealed as long as the church is here. I said, so number one, it's foolish for me to even think about, but I said, number two, when the first seal of the revelation is broken... The false peace comes with this false Messiah on a white horse carrying a bow with no arrow. So he'll come with peace. Now, we're, we're entering into a time unlike the world has ever known. And it involves Europe directly from whence will come the Antichrist. And, and uh, all of Europe. I saw a secular news presentation. It was, a, it was, a YouTube, it was a, an internet news service. 
certain people from different parts of Europe were expressing how they longed for a leader. They have no leaders and there's no leadership. They need the guy in Europe. And in every language among the nations in Europe, they were all agreeing and saying the same thing. We need a great leader who will come out with peace, a strong hand who will lead us together. So you see the world is ripe, that part of the world, especially there, they're ripe for a world leader. And so I told my former member, I said, well, you know, this guy is fighting. He's a man of war. He's, you know, so I don't see how it's possible for him to come forth as a man of peace, to have all these ideas for peace that the world will just be gripped by. Whoever he is, it, the scary thought is he's probably alive somewhere in this world and all of a sudden somewhere he's going to emerge with all of the right answers. But we won't be here when he does. That's what we're guaranteed in the Bible. Why? Because God owns it all. That's why. God owns every bit of it and it is moving according to the will and purpose of God. And the church has a certain promise, a certain guarantee. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and says to the church, we are not destined for wrath. Now the wrath of God is very easily defined in the Bible to just sum it up. It's the tribulation. It's the 70th week of Daniel the 70th seven-year period applicable to Israel. And we don't belong to that. And we'll be taken out of the way, but not Israel. So all of these things are moving. Well, this is what God is saying to David. This whole thing is moving according to my will and my purpose, and I'll let them exist as a nation according to how I will use them. The helmet of my head, the lawgiver, the servants in various parts of the world, my wash basin, my shoe, the, the, the dirty part of the closet where I throw my shoes, and the nations who are mighty. But when I bring my people against them, they ain't so mighty. Philistia. This is what God says. So this is God expressing to David just to stay close by. Finally, a cry for victory. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, Elohim, who has forsaken us and who does not go forth, Elohim, with our hosts? In other words, our armies are out there, but you haven't been with us. Give us aid against the adversary, for the salvation of man is futile. I can't depend. Now, this is where we are. We're in, we are deep in the throes of of humanism today. Who among the world leaders, even in our own country, seeks God for the answers to complicated and complex questions and issues? Nobody. They gather themselves together in their think tanks and they get other leaders to come, world leaders they're going to meet and they're going to, and they're going to make decisions. And those decisions are empty and pitiful. Because God is not a part of it. 
Here, David says, the salvation of man is futile. Man cannot save himself. In our best day, if we all came together in some sort of false sense of peace, it would implode, collapse, and fall into utter destruction because the salvation of man is empty, futile, vain. Give us aid, Elohim. Our help comes from you. Give us help against the enemy, the adversary. With Elohim, we shall gather strength. We shall gather might. And he will trample our adversaries. And that's how we see it. We don't have to fight the fight. Mankind, for all that he may, he may be trying to do, cannot stay the hand of God. We are headed to what God has declared and destined and writes it clearly in his word. So we can't depend on what men say if they're apart from the word of God. We can't depend on the, the ruminations of man or the organizations of man or whatever. We can't depend on any of that. That's foolish, it's vain, it's empty. We depend on God. He's fighting the fight as he sees fit according to his will and purpose. We'll stop there. Let's pray. We'll be through tonight. Father God in heaven, Lord, we, we collapse into your presence because you are sovereign and true and great. And you alone are our Savior. Bless us in these last days and give us strength in our faith unlike at any time we've ever experienced or known. Give us your blessing, we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.